I don't know many DJs that are genuinely funny. I really don't know many producers and DJs that I consider all around entertainers. But my next guest, Dylan Francis, is one of those incredibly rare specimens. I've known him for a while, and every time I bump into him, I just really, really love talking to him. We share a lot of the same well, interests, outlooks on things, and I guess mo mostly sense of humor and the idea that there is always something to laugh about. I loved this conversation. I know I say that all the time, but this one I really, really enjoyed. Uh, Dylan and I talk about emo, corn, nine inch nails. We talk about scratching, crookers, DJ AM, uh, skateboarding. We get into MTV, heavy metal, um, hard style. We talk about snobbery in music. And I think there is actually my favorite moment ever on one of my podcasts when Dylan Francis does a live emo song, demonstrates how to write an emo track live on the show. It was a great conversation. Um, we recorded it really at the peak of kind of crypto frenzy uh, in April, I guess it was. So you get a little bit of a snapshot of that world as well. It was really, really enjoyable. Lots of laughs, lots of good music. We got into his career. He's just an exceptionally sweet, funny, smart guy. And this is Dylan Francis on Last Party on Earth. Last, last party. Dylan Francis, welcome to Last Party on Earth. I'm very happy to have you. Thank you. It feels like it, this might be the last party on Earth. I know. It's felt like that for a long time. It has. I was like Nostradamus when I, I came up with it. I wish I didn't have that power, but... <laughs> but um, Look, I, but that's why, that's why every DJ looks up to you, is because you're the Nostradamus of our scene. Is that true? That's not yeah. true. That's not true. Um, but thank you. That, that makes me feel good. Because I feel like shit today, actually. I'm having an, a, let's just say, I don't know. Should we say it was Coinbase day? If, yeah, if you want to, I mean. If we come out sounding like total Mr. Burns or whatever. No, we're not going to sound like Mr. Burns. I mean, I think the, the, the <laughs> best way you put it was, was it's like peak FOMO season mm. for uh, the world in terms of like if you're into crypto. Coinbase yeah. IPO is like the biggest thing to happen since Bitcoin's resurgence into into the, yeah. the financial economic sphere. <laughs> you know, I like that. That was like that was super. That was professional. You just kept adding words. You're like yeah. financial <laughs> sphere, domain, market. Like piggybacking <laughs> off of myself. I'm going to also add that Ethereum has been uh, skyrocketing in the oh. economic sphere as well. I'm going to disrupt that by saying, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's why when you lifted up your t-shirt, I mean, I just feel this isn't, yeah, the Wall Street Bets t-shirt. I just feel like this isn't really the body of our interview, but we might as well no. talk about it because we're both, we're both musicians, both DJs, and we both obviously suffer slash enjoy the with our, whatever it is, with the free time and the luxury, some of this dabbling or whatever it is, but it, but it's happening to a lot of people. It's not, yeah. it, it, it's, it's really, it's almost, well, it's not, I don't want to say everybody. And it is a fortunate position. It's a lot of people, but there are some interesting questions it raises like about creativity and about, uh, 
you know, music. Anyway, to, to cut to one, one thing I want to say is considering the day I've had and all the shit that I'm having trouble articulating right now, I'm so happy to talk to you about music. Good. Like remember music. <laughs> I want to make you feel better today. Okay. That's so my let, goal of this. So let's talk about music. Let's do it. Dylan, we're going to get into, some, I want to talk about some of your history and you know, how you started and all that stuff. But to begin yeah. with, what is the first record that you bought with your own money? Ooh. The, the, the memory that keeps coming up in my head is me going to Virgin Megastore. In LA? Uh, in LA. It was on Crescent Heights and Sunset. It's in this little strip mall. Or not even a strip mall. It was like a you know little shitty mall. And <laughs> it was such a cool store. Because you know they had those listening booths. Oh yeah. Uh, you could ask somebody, uh, some person to listen to a CD. Or, or maybe they had, I forgot. Maybe they only had like the CDs. Sometimes they were automated. You, you yeah. would, like, they were like locked in a cage. And, you, like, and then you could pick one. Pressed a button. Yeah, you could select from like four of them or something. Exactly. And I think I went in there and um, I bought... I don't really, I think I remember I got like a Jack Johnson CD. And and the funny part about that is that I wasn't going in there to get a Jack Johnson CD. I was looking in this section and I was like, I just, I really liked the art that was on it. Okay. I bought a couple other CDs and I can only just remember that this was Jack Johnson. I don't even think he was that big yet. Did he do, was, is he the guy who did the Curious George record? I honestly, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest here and say that I didn't even like the record. I bought it. And I listened to it for one second and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> Were you alone or with a friend or with your parents? Or? Yeah, I was alone. And I was, I, I was just, just buying cruising it. alone in the mall. Yeah. I, I was just buying it because the art looked cool. How old were you? I had to be around like 14 or something like that. Were you always into music? Were you always into collecting music and buying records and... I got to listen to a lot of music from my brother. So my uh, brother was a big, like he had every CD, so I didn't have to buy him. So that's why I, I purchased so late. Like I probably was like eating, your, your younger brother, right? No, older brother. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> Asshole. Like, I, just, I just had this nine-year-old kid. I was like picking up on everything he was into. And he was so cool. <laughs> he loved, like he was really into craft work. He was, he was seven. No, I'm sorry. Your older brother. <laughs> I had a four-year-old brother, like brother. heavy into craft work. Wow. LCD sound system. Yeah. Oh man, LCD sound system. Great record. Yeah. Uh, great record with that. What is it? Uh, that New York record. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. And yeah, that's so good. And all my friends. That one. Yeah. Get innocuous. Yeah. Oof. I was always jealous of James of LCD songs. Like they all had that like your life is a movie feeling, you know, like, do you know that like really yes. like the Smiths or something where you're just like, fuck, like so life, like it's life such a good in a soundtrack. Song. Yeah. You want that to be playing when you're walking down the street. Exactly. Like, exactly. Soundtrack of my, of the life I want. Exactly. <laughs> the life I want. Um, so, okay. So you had an older brother. Yeah. Uh, the music that, that he was into at that time was like, you know, Blink-182, uh, Papa Roach, this was all like the nineties rock music and slash emo stuff. Hmm. So uh, he was into corn as well. Okay. I, um, I was, I was intrigued by corn. You were intrigued by them. I was intrigued by them too, because I think it was just how the singer looked. He looked kind of like a rat. I don't know. He had said he was the guy with dreads, right? He had long stringy dreads, right? The hair was crazy. The, the bass 
sounded like it was played on the dreads because it was so loose. <laughs> and the 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 fact that a lot of the songs just had like, yeah. and you're like, you're kind of like, well, I don't, okay, but what? There was yeah. something there. There was something there. <laughs> something. There was something there. I mean, they were, yeah, there had to be something there because they were massive at a, at a time. Yeah, huge. Okay, so you were, so you, your brother was into stuff like that and you were, yeah, like, I think even when I was younger though, like I, I would, I, I remember staying inside and watching a lot of MTV music videos. I remember the first music video I watched was um, Perfect Drug by Nine Inch Nails. I, I think I was like probably 11 or something like that. And I was, I was looking around my room, making sure my parents weren't going to come in because at that time I was watching Sesame Street, you know, still probably, <laughs> I don't know. And, and I was just such like it's a, a weird zone where Sesame Street and Nine Inch Nails overlap. Like, dude, the overlapping of that, I was like, same man, afternoon. when is the vampire going to pop out and be like, let's count? Um, but yeah, when I watched that video, I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. There was that one. There was the Smooth Criminal by, um, what's her name? She went a little crazy. She came back. <laughs> she, I think she came back at the beginning of quarantine, too, and like donated a bunch of money. Who? Uh, Fiona Apple. Okay. But I thought you said Smooth Criminal. Smooth Criminal. Wait. Oh, that's, is that's, it, I'm thinking that's of Michael. Of Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. You're no, no, sorry. Of, uh, sorry. Uh, I, I know. Her, I think her of. song is just called Criminal. Criminal. Yes. It's called Criminal. Sorry. Yeah, my yeah. bad. You had bad. me, I was, I couldn't say anything because I thought a joke was coming. <laughs> so I didn't want to look like an idiot. I was like, is he fucking with me? Or am I super, or am I like totally forgetting what song? I got too excited. I got way too excited. Fiona Apple was really good, actually. Amazing. She Her was really was good. fantastic. Yeah. But there was that, there was um, Rock Show. I remember all these music videos because I, I was such a, I loved watching music videos. And I think that's why I love making them so much. Like I remember the Blink-182 rock show music video. I think that's the one where they they take all the money and they like blow up a car or something. They give a homeless guy a makeover and give him a suit and uh, and a bunch of other stuff. It makes sense actually, because you, I mean, later on I was going to get to it, but you, you, it makes sense that you really were into the visual and the, one of the things I always loved about you was the, yeah, the visual, the, the, it's not, it's not necessarily comedy. It's just, it's, I mean, it is comedy, but it's also just, yeah, it's how you, uh, you kind of like build a little world around. Yeah. You have a real personality. There's a persona and it gets built around the music. And, but most, well, I think that's, you, you have the same thing as well. Yeah. 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 I guess, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. But yours was, anyway, we'll, we'll get to it, but it makes total sense that <laughs> it makes total sense that you were seeing those things as, as, as full package little productions, you know? Yeah. So what, what is the first exposure to either electronic music or DJing? Like, like, do you remember the first person you ever saw DJ? I think it had to be DJ AM. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, he, he was incredible. He was the first person that was really pushing electronic music in top 40 clubs, you know, like he was the person that was playing Kid Cudi day and night crookers remix mixed in with what is it night and day by Michael Jackson. 
<laughs> he was doing those like weird mashups where it was like, and they, and he was the only person that could make it make sense. He could make things work. Yeah. Yeah. He could, yeah. He, he was, he was one of the few that could like massage them together. Exactly. That was a huge, that Crooker's record was a huge record actually. Yeah. I think that was one of the first EDM records in a weird way. Like not, it wasn't called EDM at the time, but it was yeah. reaching out into that. Exactly. No, it was crazy. The, that, I mean, they, they had the craziest amount of music that was popping up on uh, this is like the hype machine era yeah it was like every day i would go on there and crookers the, were like a coin yeah <laughs> they were they were like kind of they were like they were your first that was your crookers was your first token basically. that was my first that was my first uh edm token <laughs> crookers sounds like a token <laughs> it does it's very it's they're not it, that's not shit coin it's like no that's that's high level token tokenization right there my friend Eamon kelly um, we can bleep his last name if we, if he wants us to, I don't think he cares, but he was the person that like sh started showing me all this music. Cause him and I, we used to listen to a lot of metal together and like industrial punk stuff. Like I used to listen to X models, which is like very experimental, like thrash core punk. I don't even know what it's considered. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he started playing it in his car and I remember it was the first, uh, the first remix I heard was from Bloody Beetroots, okay. and it was Ill to Destroy, where it was that Metallica riff. Yeah, and when I heard it, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, I want to. I look. I want to go to Metallica shows now. I want to go to whatever this show is because I feel like I'll be able to punch things even harder. Yeah. Okay. So it was like the angst of aggression. me as a teen being like, "Holy shit!" This just took the aggression level up. funny it makes total sense to me because in the early i don't know when it is i guess it's like mid 2000s or whatever when we first started like me and some of my friends and a lot of my friends fall pretty firmly into the hansel territory you know like yeah. <laughs> like a lot of <laughs> like a lot of kind of snobby euro types you know and a lot of people were so there was a lot yeah. of like what is happening in america like we what is this <laughs> like you know this kind of a bit of an out, outrage kind of thing and you oh, I'm sure i remember and and i remember the way i understood it and i was really never snobby because i actually first of all i was a raver when i was a kid so i i, I get that uh-huh you know a little bit of a comic booky kind of, I, I loved that, you know, like that's what I wanted when I was young as well. I'm not, not saying, but the thing yeah. is, I remember explaining it to people and I was a bit like, this isn't in competition with or replacing like a techno artist. I always saw it more as like, this is like, remember Limp Biscuit or Corn? Mm -hmm. This is more like that demographic. This is more like those people, a lot of those people maybe discovering different drugs or different, just a different energy. And that's kind of where those big stadium shows. I remember thinking like, okay, it's, it's more, it's closer to that energy and that aesthetic. And it makes complete sense with what, what we were saying with the music that you loved when you were younger. And oh, that's exactly right. Did you have any, along the more Hansel kind of stereotypical, you know, buttoned up conservative techno world. Did you have any exposure to that? I don't think so. Early? Fucking lucky you. 
<laughs> I, I didn't. Yeah. Cause I no, but you know what I mean? Like that more, or, or even, even on a, even on a drug angle, like, you know, okay, let's say you knew the aggression, the youthful kind of let's go crazy part of it. Mm -hmm. Had you had, did you have any exposure to the more like tripped out longer kind of, or did that? No, that just wasn't part I, of your I world. I had such like a, like, we want to call it like I had such a weird musical journey from from growing up, like, you know, talking about what my brother was into. He then got into like Grateful Dead and everything. And I didn't go that path. I was not really into that fish, Grateful Dead. Um, so I veered into I think it was like uh, it had to be I guess I kept going in like the the rock area. And then like, I got into emo stuff in, in high school, I was listening to like my chem secretly, you know? So sorry. I, okay. Here, I'm going to have a few questions where I'm going to sound a little stupid. I mean, what, who is the definitive, like who's the Bob Marley of emo? I would have to say blink or my chemical romance or the used. I know my chemical romance them. I know. Yeah. I feel like they're like, Panic's pretty big too. That's a tough one. I can't. I that's Panic at the Disco. Panic at the Disco. Yeah. Like you're just on first name basis with all oh, the emo. Panic. Yeah. Panic. My Cam. You got oh, like an man, acronym for like five of them. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so many that I was listening to, but like I had to listen to it secretly because my friends that that the, the people that I was friends with, they all listened to like the cooler side of music where it was like. We were, you know, you listen to Rancid or you're listening to Anti-Flag. You're listening to okay. all like the punk stuff. You're listening to, to Black Flag. Um, That's a big California thing too, right? Isn't there like a big tradition in California of a lot of that stuff? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't I think know so. If, like Dead Kennedys. It was all that. Yeah. So, so I had to secretly listen to my emo music by myself on my iPod. Give me the basics of emo because I don't know anything. I mean, I throw the term around as if I know what I'm talking about, but I, I don't. This is, what, this is what like emo is. You got to turn on the, well, I want to put on auto-tune. So that, and then okay. you have to like, Oh, are you going to make a song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to make one. Okay. Like it's all that <laughs> like harmony stuff. <laughs> you took me to the better. I tell you oh, better. <laughs> it's like that. Wow. It's <laughs> crazy accurate. I mean, I know exact. I all of a sudden know exactly. <laughs> but like there, I, I, I bet there's going to be, and, we, and you wear, and you wear black. Well, there's going to be some or, emo snobs that are going to answer back to this that are going to be like, dude, he just named all like the popular ones. So like brand new was the best emo band ever. That's a big one. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. My listenership, there are not many like underground emo people. Watch them come out. Watch them come out of the woodwork and be like, yo, okay. Okay. What did they wear? What, or what did you wear? What did I wear? Um, or was that, or, do, or visually were you like hiding that truth, like, like, did, or did you dress emo too? Well, no. So like, man, I, I remember from, from going from middle school to high school, I was, I went to school in the Valley. So baggy pants were super big at the time. Okay. Like Jinko, not Jinkos. Cause that was a little bit raver, but okay. it was like, it was like the baggy LRG pants or, or something so like that. So what year is this? And you're in high school. This is like 2000 or something. I was born 1987, so I don't know. Okay, yeah, so this is like 2002 or something. Yeah, something like that. So then, and then in high school, started wearing you started wearing slimmer pants. That's when you know slim jeans started coming into into play, and you were wearing girls' jeans because they were sl slimmer, which was yeah. so stupid for me to wear because I have like pencil thin legs. 
But you got like a fair sized ass, right? Yeah, it's it's decent. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just, just and, then, and then the pencil. Yeah, the and then pencil the pencil just like goes right down. under the. So it's like, yeah. whoa, who is this guy? Because a lot of the time, those jeans were like you'd see like guys like the strokes or whatever. And mm-hmm. like, they'd have like pin- pencil legs and like the pencil hips. Yeah. And then you'd see like the, the people in real life, the guys like kind of going for the same thing, but like the hips weren't quite as Yeah, yeah, you just have, it would just, you just be like, you're just like this weird stick figure. They're more like childbearing, <laughs> like, like childbearing hips with the pencil. <laughs> like, hey man, <laughs> like, hey man, how's it going? Men with childbearing hips. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I don't know why I'm so interested in emo. Is this one of those things where I was never, there's a few genres through the years that I always like goth, emo, the things which you obviously, you know what they are, but you know. Okay. So were you going, when did you start going out at night? When did you start going to clubs? The first concert I ever went to was the Blood Brothers at the Troubadour. And um, I went because I was really into this girl that was really into the band as well. And then my friend Dean came with me. And, or, or, well, no, we were all going together. And, and the best part is that, like, I had heard one song from them. It was Ambulance versus Ambulance. And I was like, okay, cool. This is, this is awesome. This is kind of how I got into that departure of, like, very uh, fun Seattle industrial punk stuff. Um, at the show, Dean and the girl started hooking up. <laughs> So I was this is your girl. This is your this girl. The girl right? that I was like, yeah, totally. I mean, but it's, it, you know, I, I hadn't, I don't That's know if when I, you just start like, you start dancing more crazy. Exactly. Like you get all, I was fully like, fuck this. I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'm just at the show now by myself. Cause they're going to be <laughs> kissing. So I was going fucking crazy. You close your eyes. You get like really into the music. I was jumping around. <laughs> I didn't know any of the words to anything. Ambulance versus ambulance comes on. I'm thrashing. I'm, I'm pitting. It, it was so fun. And so that's how I started getting into that. And then like, I think I went, the next concert I went to, which wasn't as crazy, which was uh, I'm a Robot. I don't know. You don't remember I'm a Robot? No. They had that song, um, Ex-Girlfriends, Black Jettas. Great song. I don't know. It. This is a, this whole, almost everything you're saying <laughs> is a bit of a... This might have been an LA well, thing. Well, I think it's also, it's age, LA, different. It's a bit of a blind yeah. spot for me. I, I just, I yeah. just, I'm kind of, I'm kind of nodding. And I mean, I know some of it, but. I went to Kings of Leon at the uh, the Wiltern. That was a great one. I'm, I'm aware of them. That was a that was before the. Um... Whoa! What the fuck? Alexa, shut up! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> By Coinbase at one hundred and eighty-two. <laughs> Please tell me you're not looking at Coinbase right now. I'm not. I was no. Actually, the market's closed. Like three seconds before i called you i was like okay now you're fine but no, no, you, you're gonna are you gonna look at the uh after what is it uh aftermarket no that's not aftermarket why do they even call it post-market it's just like post-market why did they stop there like why don't they just that's like well crypto is 24 hours that's why crypto is so fun yeah it's like a real real barrel of laughs um yeah <laughs> but um so okay so you basically came from a concert rock yeah like live music background yeah and i never had gone to any raves until I played. Okay, one. you ne- no raves, no DJ culture. No, and then and then at some point you get introduced to basically that like that hybrid energy, like Crookers or Buddy Beat Roots, whatever. Yep, and say like, okay, yeah, 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 this is I want that. Oh yeah, that's why I was like, what the fuck is this? This is the coolest thing I've ever heard. So what did you do then? 
I kept listening. So I just got really into the music. I wasn't interested in producing yet. I think I was, um, I was really interested in turntablism at the time. Um, I know it's really weird and I'm also not a turntablist. I did not get good at being a turntablist. Um, I'm never just for the record, I'm going to my grave, never saying that word <laughs> turntablist or the other one, the ISM one. I just want you to know like, I'm not, I'm never saying it. I have a tribal tattoo. That's my one, but I'm not, I'm not also going to say that. <laughs> Whatever. It, it had a moment. I have a lot of good friends. I have a lot of good friends. And like Ross Hudson Mohawk, I yeah. mean, there, there's a lot of people that were heavily influenced by it. I, I just, I guess I just like to make fun well, of no, it. No, no. Anyway. So I, I really was into like the way that it sounded. I, I like, I just loved the tone of someone scratching. Mm. Can you scratch? No, 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 I can't. I tried. I tried to learn like the crab scratch and everything not happening. Me too. You know, a, a track, grew up in Montreal and, and so I knew him since he's super young and I booked him for some shows and he was super young and he tried to teach me. It's so hard. Oh my yeah. God. It's one of the things I was really wished. I think scratching and skateboarding are two things I really wished I could do. And I was hopeless at both. You know what? Me too. On skateboarding as well. I, I was the guy that was taking pictures and filming. You know why? This might sound a bit harsh and forgive me if I'm playing like shrink or whatever, harsh. but uh, skateboarding, I think is really about like bravery, yeah. like on a, on a deep, deep level. It's like risk. Sure. Like you, you're like, you're like, I know I'm going to get hurt and fuck it. Like I'm, and I didn't, I was scared of getting hurt. Yeah. That's it. No, I completely agree because I'm like, I broke my arm twice, not because I wanted to. Um, Skating? One was a kid. No, a kid fell on me. This was before <laughs> a kid fell on me in, in middle school. <laughs> yeah. And I broke my arm. And then the other one was I was playing tennis. I used to I used to like go to tennis camps and everything. Oh, you're pulling you're pulling out the big guns here. Tennis camp. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tennis camp. Billy Martin tennis camp. OK, full disclosure. I went to tennis camp. See, I feel like we're kind of the same. Well, I was just going to say my brother tripped me at tennis camp and he broke my arm again after I had just recently broke it. And he did it on purpose because he's a piece of shit. Oh. But I love him. <laughs> Same arm? Same arm. And that's when I had to get like the full cast all the way up to here. <laughs> I did uh, at tennis camp, and this was some white ass tennis camp. <laughs> I performed at a campfire like talent show, uh, a full iced tea. No, yeah, iced tea. You know the song Colors from the movie Colors? Yes. I performed iced tea colors around a campfire at a tennis camp. I would love to see footage of that. Dude, camera, the phones didn't exist. Like this is like, thank it God. It was in the moment. It's a great song. It's a great song. So you start practicing at home? Yes. Yeah. Well, funny. you know, you were talking about A-Track and funny enough, I remember hearing that A-Track sat in his basement for a year just sitting and like getting ready for what is it? The uh, DMC championship. So I was like, all right, if a track did that to get ready for this, I need to put like, and there was also that you're like, then I can do two weeks. I can do two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> all I need is a one month mom and dad. Um, but I, I had heard like, I had heard that. And I'd heard like, if you put 10,000 hours into something, you become a master at it. So I, I had, the song that like got me wanting to produce was Rusko Woo Boost, which like the sound design in it to me was so cool. 
He was like a drum and bass DJ at one point, or was he? I think or he no? played drum and bass, but he was mostly dubstep. He was like the, the the. I played with him once. He was amazing. He's, he's insane. He jumps around so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he was barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's one of those moments. I had a few of these moments where, like, it was like a bit of a cultural transition where, like, I f- I'd finish my set and it was quite like, you know, like I'm act- acting a bit serious and, like, I don't, you know, whatever, like, <laughs> they're going to, you know, the subtle, like, like you've waited long enough for this, you know? And like, and then I remember like he came on after me and it was like, I was like, Oh, I got up my game. Like I got, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go back to the lab because this, this as an entertainment product is, is projecting. He was going crazy and also like super into it, like just excited and happy. Yeah. Happy to happy to be that there. That reminds me of like Flostradamus. Uh, th- when they were together. I like their records. They, when they were together for live shows, that was the hardest thing to follow ever. Because Josh was such a good MC. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you because you like, I know you as delivering like very, very like big tracks and drops and whatever. I was going to ask you who, who's, who do you not want to play after? Major Lazer and Flostradamus. Oh yeah, Major Lazer. Hands down. If you play after Major Lazer, you're fucked. And I did. What do you do? What's your what okay, so what's your I move? cry. <laughs> I sit there and I cry. No, really like what did you do? What do you what do you start with? Like what what's the You have to play the most iconic record to get the crowd to be like, oh fuck yeah, we're go it's going, it's going down. <laughs> but it started uh, again. Lean on exists, so you you can't play that one. And that's probably one of the biggest records in the world. I love Lean On. Yeah. When that record came out, that pissed me off. That was like, I wish I made that. Same. It's one of those jealous ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember that. That came out. I was in this, I was in Ibiza that summer. And I remember, because you tell yourself all these lies about like, oh, it's not possible to, you can't have it all. You know, you can't make something cool and beautiful and you can't like, nope. and then I was like, okay, you're, Doesn't I exist. was wrong. Like, but it does. Yeah. I love that. It's, song. The, it's one of those diamond in the roughs where you're like, yeah. holy shit, this is, this it's is perfect. Like maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's one of those records that doesn't get made fun of by anybody. No, there's nothing to, I was thinking about it. It's like the, there are those parties like you could play at like at a huge festival. You could play it at a cool party and you could play it at like a bar mitzvah. Like it, like it actually, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's oddly exactly. almost like all three react the same. Like, cause they're just reacting to like quality, you know? Yep. So when did you, what's your first gig or, or how did you, how did you get a show? My first gig was down in downtown LA. Um, I, I want to say, I think it was through Danny United that I got booked through, booked for it. It was the first rave I've ever been to. First rave you've ever been to and you're playing. Yeah. Which is, I was playing. Yeah. Or like, I guess warehouse party. Were you nervous? No, I was so stoked. I mean, I'd been playing shows at like this bar on Cahuenga, but that, you know, that's different. And it wasn't a rave. So your first big party and you're actually playing, that's pretty rare. Yeah, it was. I mean, there was probably 20 people there, maybe 10. (laughs) Um, There was a lot of hula hoopers in the back, you know, were away from the crowd. So that's why I would say 10. There's 20 people there but 10 up at the front with me. And then like 
10 other ones in the back. It's like, like an optical illusion. <laughs> yeah, doing the fucking <laughs> like hand things. <laughs> and oh my God. The best is I, I actually had played some records that I had like, I didn't realize were edits from Radio 1. They were rips from Radio 1. So like Pete Tong's voice just like pops yeah, in the middle like, of the track. Well, and then another <laughs> song is mixing in and then I'm mixing a third song over it. <laughs> <laughs> I always ask people stories of their early shows and it's so, I love those first shows. Cause it's, when you look back on it, like it's so cute, you know, like everyone, we're yep. so like, all of us are so like kind of goofy in those, those first show moments. Like, Oh dude. And I was playing on the fucking biggest, I was playing on the, the, the MacBooks that they used to, um, they used to sell the 17 inch. Oh, I had a 17 inch. Yeah. I loved it. I was DJing on that. And so I have this fucking massive computer in front of my face. That's like full like business traveler DJ (laughs) rig, (laughs) like PowerPoint. (laughs) It's the only thing that I had. (laughs) You could be the only DJ that ever played with the 17 inch, to be honest. I think you honestly might. There's a pretty good chance of that. I did it for a long time until I was like, man, I should really stop bringing this computer around because this is what I make music on. It It was heavy. It was heavy as fuck. I, ne- I never even thought about how stupid I must looked with just rolling up with a 17 inch laptop. I think it's, I think it's here guys. <laughs> oh, you got, can you move the CDJs over? There's not enough room for my laptop. It's not enough room for the extra, extra two inches on either side. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, that's, that's, that's a one-off. It's incredible. Like generationally that, so there's, you didn't, you never played vinyl and you never played CDs. Never played vinyl. Yeah, I I went to Turntable Lab in LA. This is this is way before I got into dance music. Um, but I remember like when I you know wanting to be a turntablist or a, you know scratch. I remember going to my parents got me a Newmark Battle Pack. I'd asked for it for two years for Christmas and they never did it. And then they finally did it. And I went to um, Turntable Lab and I got a Roulette of Dares like number two turntable which is the turn you know it's or not turntable uh record that's the record that has like the ooh yeah wow ooh yeah it has all those just stolen from get up yeah <laughs> exactly get up hey. and then that's where you can cut those and then i i'm so stupid i bought a jazz fusion cd and i was like i'm gonna cut on top of this jazz fusion you're, exp- you're experimenting experimental and then, and then I remember sitting there for like a couple weeks and then I tried to do like mixing and I didn't understand BPM at that point. Like I didn't understand song structure either. So I'm like just trying to get them to mix and it didn't work. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> and I don't think I touched that thing for like a couple years until my friend showed me Serato and showed me beats per minute and showed me like, hey, this is usually how a song structure is. They're going to have like 16 bars till the next thing happens or eight bars till the next thing happens. It depends. So you got to know your music. Having really, really come from LA and the States and the background you described, what, like, how did you feel or do feel about that stereotype European kind of club techno personality? Like, is it something you ever kind of wanted a piece of is it something that you felt intimidated by is it hansel, you know you know what i mean though like that other world is it yeah no hansel represents to me the people that i knew in los angeles like not even being a techno dj it, it reminds me of the people that i met in the club circuit that are like at the top 40 clubs 
that come in and think that they're better than everybody else for no reason. Um, and uh, that's why I loved DJM so much, you know, rest in peace. He was one of the nicest people where he would walk in and he would greet everybody and like, yeah, he was just a sweetheart. Um, so it was kind of that from, from my, from growing up in my teenage years into my young adulthood. And then it was also like, that's making fun of like, you know, the techno producers <laughs> from Berlin or somewhere. <laughs> and, and then also, um, like Swedish house mafia and all those yeah. types of, like it's, it's all put into one. Yeah. I know it's, it's going after a certain type of producer, but it's like, you know, well, it's basically people that take themselves too seriously. It's so exactly. And I always never wanted to be taken super seriously. And that's why I love joking around so much. And that's why, you know, I do all the stupid shit that I, I love doing because I also love making people laugh, but I also don't take myself too seriously. And don't think I'm better than anybody else. <laughs> I'm just a guy who got lucky. Like I, I started making music at a certain point where like dance music was really becoming something in America. And, and I, I luckily had the hustle and drive to be like, I'm going to fucking, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just kept going. I was like, fuck it. Next thing. Let's try to do the next thing. I don't think there's anything I hate more like, I mean, I hate hypocrites and I hate people that take themselves super seriously. I mean, it's just the worst. It's just in, in any walk of life. Like, you know, it just shows, it shows a basic just misunderstanding of what's going on because you're not, no one, you know, you have to be able to laugh at yourself and, and oftentimes, and, and it's fun to find the humor and everything. And I, yeah, I mean, I love that you, well, you obviously don't take things too seriously, no. which is, which is great, <laughs> but I'm just, so do you really, yeah, you really, you consider yourself very like lucky in that sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I was definitely putting in the work, you know, I, but I think that it was like the, it was the perfect moment in time. Like I started making, uh, I started like, I think through the grapevine, I heard that Diplo was into Moomatone. <clears throat> so I was like, oh, I'm going to go check out what Moomatone is. And then that's how I found this guy, Moonchi. Then I started making the music and luckily I started making it right at the inception of it, you know, <clears throat> and there was no rules and there weren't a, a lot of people producing that, that much Moomatone. So yeah, that, that's when I, that's when I first heard about you. It's funny because I heard about you, I think kind of the same way you might've heard about me through Proxy. But yes, I know Proxy. So Proxy was, yeah, he was a Russian guy on my record label and he was like yes. on Turbo and he was one of the guys. The Raven. Yeah, exactly. Raven. Raven. He was making like as close as we had to, I guess it was early prototypical kind of stadium techno. Massive record. That record was one of the, oh my God. And then Crookers did a remix of that too. Yes. He was a huge fan of yours. And I hadn't, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't know about you yet at that time. And I was in Russia in his studio, in his town and I'm not talking Moscow. This was some, where it was like an hour, uh, hour and a half outside of Moscow. It was full Borat. Like it was just straight. Oh my God. It was like every Borat joke. Like I stayed at like, like they brought me to like the fine business hotel and it was like <laughs> the local mob guy gives me the key. It was crazy. It was fun. I, I Russia's a yeah. interesting place. I, I, I mean, I love Russia and I loved him anyway. And we were in studio together and he played me like 15 of your tracks back to back to back. Like oh, wow. I still have them from that day that he gave me, he gave, just played every, he had like all your records. And I remember... I didn't know what Moombathon or it was. I didn't know, but, and it was like, I don't know. I hadn't heard anything like it. I just remember thinking 
it was like fun, you know, like it was like exciting, big and fun. And I remember at that time, well, always, oh, I've always been, you're always trying to find records that are like high impact and not embarrassing. Yeah. You know, like that, like <laughs> that's kind of the, I know exactly the holy grail is like, is like it can get the job done and you still like emerge yes. with your dignity, you know, like some, somehow those two things. And that's what I remember thinking about your records. I was like, okay, shit, this is like, this, this would slam and oh, that's awesome. And it, and it's, it's cool. It sounds good. Anyway. So did you know right away, like after your first gig, were you like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do? Um, I was just kind of rolling with it. Uh, I was, I think 23 when it like started really going down that's that's when I was able to move out of my parents' place. Was there somebody you really looked up to? Yeah. I mean, there was Diplo. Like Dip, I had, I'd always looked up to Diplo. I thought that he was just such an incredible curator um, and was always like finding just incredible music. Always. I know. It's crazy. He's just always like, he's so curious, like his energy for, for discovering things and doing things. It's just like, fuck, it's crazy. Him, like even, I mean, Pawn the Floor, what a fucking massive, incredible music video too. Um, but that record was so big. Is that the one with Cartel? That's the one with DJ Snake or? Or no, no, that, that one's with, uh, I think Afrojack. Oh yeah, yeah, Afrojack, yeah. And then they did uh, Original Dawn. And that one, I remember being in the studio with, with Diplo and the Party Squad. And he was, at the time, he was playing Hardstyle at shows. Who, Wes? Wes was, yeah. And it was blowing my mind because I am not a big fan of Hardstyle. I'll be the first to say it. I don't really want to listen to it that often. I don't like the crunchy kicks. Um, there's, there's certain ones that are like really cool. But, you know, anyways, I'm not going to berate that. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not really a fan either. I don't really have anything. I don't have anything against it, uh, but. Well, actually, I guess I, I don't have anything in particular against yeah. it. Yeah. Like it's in, it's in a category of stuff like I just wouldn't really listen exactly. to. Exactly. For me, well, the, th the funny, th okay, sorry, just to go on a little tangent yeah. about hard style. When I was young, very young, there was Gabber. Okay. That one I which, don't understand either. Well, I, I guess it's just in full disclosure of how our tastes change as we get older. Like when I first started raving and first went to Europe and I was in Holland, they had these Gabber parties, which I guess was the same, pretty much same as Hardstyle later. And at the time I, I did kind of like it. I think it's just, it's just maximum. Gabber's faster, right? It's like at 80 or like, I guess 160 BPM. Yeah. It's like 160, 170. It's just boing, boing, yeah. boing, boing, boing. And just, and then breaks to like, <laughs> like some Dutch, <laughs> Dutch slogan. Yes. I don't know what, it's like kind of like football hooligan music, you know? And <laughs> a Dutch slogan. Yeah. Dutch slogan <laughs> for like selling soap or something. I don't know what's happening, but, but, uh, you know, when you're really, really young also, like, it's like you said at the beginning, you're just, you're just looking for energy. You know, you're looking for, that's what you want. You want, yeah. you want energy. You want it deliberately exaggerated. And that's what, that's what those genres are. So there's a time and a place for them, you know? Yeah. I think maybe if I was younger, I would, I would be more into it at that time, but I was, yeah, you I don't too. know. But you anyways, I was enough. too old. Yeah, too old. <laughs> Any, anyways, the the thing that was crazy was that he was one playing these records, which I was like, dude, you know, because it's it's Diplo. Diplo doesn't play hard style records, so he was playing them. I think he even played hard style on um, Boiler Room. He, he he got pretty drunk one night. We were in London. He played up like he started out with hard style, and it was definitely like he was getting 
destroyed on the comment section. He was getting snob, snob eyes. Oh yeah, all the snobs in the boiler room chat were just like, what the fuck is it? I hate Diplo, blah, blah. But anyways, the thing that was so cool was that he was playing these records because he believed that there was something in them that he could turn into a song, which he did. Original Dawn was a record that was originally a hardstyle record that he was like, let's just, let's fix this up and slow it down and like try to make the kick less aggressive or something like that. But it was just so incredible to see him understand the genre of hardstyle and then be like, I'm going to incorporate it into Major Lazer and, and figure out how to make it accessible. But that's the musical producer equivalent to not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. It, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's like, because that's, that's okay. The snobs, the Hansel character or the boiler room critiques are all, the problem is what, the, what none of them know is that they're imprisoned with all these rules. Like, yep. like they, they're, they're, they're captive to what they think they have to say about blank, whether it's hard style, whatever. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's some people who are just like, fuck it. I don't, I don't care. Like Wes is a case. I like to do that where you're just like, okay, I'm going to, if you turn the chessboard around a little bit, well, all of a sudden, maybe that's a, the beginning of a country song. I don't know. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Not a, not a great example, <laughs> but, but, the, and then all of a sudden it's like, you hear it a lot sometimes with music that's very hard, like superficially aggressive and hard. And then if you just, sometimes you just twist one element mm -hmm. and it can work, let's say in a super poppy uh, you know, like some of Skrillex stuff exactly. did that, you know, where you're just like little things get tweaked a little bit and you're like, Whoa, that, that really works as a, as a real pop song, you know? Yeah. So yeah, you were saying about, Oh, you were just kind of like taking it day by day about how much you, how serious you were going to take DJing or. Yeah. The original thing that I, that I had wanted to do in that was that I just wanted to play at, um, Dimock studios. That was my goal. I love those original goals. People are like, did you want to be rich? You're like, nah, I wanted to make a sticker. Yeah, I just wanted you know, like, I was just like, I was obsessed with it. I used to go there and I used to party there all the time. And they're like, all the, the cool DJs would come through there and play at Dimock. And this was like at the beginning of Dimock as well. So I was like, that's where I want to play. And, and I knew that I could only play there if I made my own music. So you were, you, it was maybe more like the environment that made you want to make records. Like you wanted into that. Yeah, it was, it was Dimock slash listening to that Rusko record. I was like, this is so fucking cool. I knew I want to make sounds like this. This is awesome. And then it, and then it was also like, well, if I make that too, then I'll be able to DJ at Dimock. Do you love DJing? Um, yeah, I, I, I do really enjoy it. There's certain times where I don't, where I'm just like so tired and I don't want to do it. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Like times I'm so tired, like from 2011 to 2019, for example. Yep. <laughs> yep. No, I'm not. You hit the what, nail on the head. You, um, now, what do you, like <laughs> right, right now, if I ask you what you miss about touring and DJing, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Energy. The energy. I, I do think the silver lining of the, this horrible pandemic and everything is that um everyone's taken a breather even us have taken a breather from playing shows so i think i hope that that like there's one thing that i i, I feel like a lot of people lost and maybe maybe i'm wrong though but is like the wonderment of what the dj is going to play like what new record is this person going to play that's going to make me go holy crap this is incredible i want to know what this is 
And then also just the, the fact that people haven't been to shows and they're going to be so excited to hear music again, which will then just, you know, people are going to be like dolphins flying out of a crowd, you know? <laughs> have you been in the, why don't, I guess in the year that you've been at home, have you been creative? Yeah, yeah ha half and half. Like at the beginning, it was really tough to be creative because I had no idea what to really make. And then since it was such a... You're like, and that's when I did my ambient album. <laughs> nope, that's Diplo. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, that's a lot of, I mean... Yeah, actually, shit, it's true. He did that. But he a did. lot of people, a lot of people went like full checklist. Did I they? mean, I also went, well, I think a lot of people went through, I think like April, May, June of last year was some heavy ambient activity all over the world. Wow. Mine was completely different. Mine was, was like, all right, what do I want to, what do I want to keep making? What do I want to make right now? I mean, now it already seems like a long time ago, but I remember at the first three or four months, I actually felt super liberated by not having the parties and the DJ. Like, just, it was kind of like, okay, I don't have to keep evaluating music I'm making for performance. I don't have to keep, you know, it's just like, there's no structure anymore. So make whatever, you know, that didn't last long though. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the thing, the thing that sucked for me was that I was working on this second mixtape this thing called mixtape is fire, but I was working on the second version of it and I had getting, I would been getting a bunch of songs done and then COVID happened and festivals were gone. And it's kind of like, it's completely a record or it's a mixtape. That's like fully <laughs> for festivals. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to really work on this right now because I don't know what's going to happen. And also what is going to be, you know, wanted at festivals later on. Lately, I have a weird feeling like that everything's going to return exactly the same really that's how i i swear sometimes no, i don't mean in terms of what you're saying before about the energy and like the the appreciation that i think is going to be like a renaissance i really do i yeah. think i think it's gonna be a bit like after berlin wall vibe i think it's going to be you know the bottom line is there's like 14 15 16 year old kids who've been stuck at home for a year they're going to yeah, go crazy exactly. they're just going to go crazy and that is like nuclear reaction for sure. But I think sometimes I think though from a DJ angle, cause I have like nightmares sometimes. I'll have a nightmare of like an itinerary. You know, like, do you have, I have, yes. I have DJ nightmares. Yeah, I have those like, too. Like gate change you, and I'm like, what the you fuck? You wake up and you're like, oh wait, do I have to be somewhere right now? Hold on. Yeah, like it's a 15 minute nap in like Portugal. I'm like, what, what's happening? And, uh, <laughs> so true. But, but sometimes when I have those nightmares, part of the nightmare is that like, even after all this, it's just like, it's exactly the same. Like, like some DJ gets up just like right away playing, like as if kind of nothing really changed, but uh, no, I, I don't, it, it won't be like that. Maybe just in a familiar and a nice way, you know? I, 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 I see what you're saying for sure. I am scared to DJ. Like I'm Me too. like, I'm like, what am I going to play actually? What am I going to play? Well, that brings me a little bit to like, so you have, a, you have a lot of time that you didn't have before mm -hmm. and definitely without traveling it opens up a lot, like, you know, there's more time to, to sleep and more, to, yeah. you know, whatever. There's just a bit of space that we never had. Oh, yeah. I'm not, it's, not, it's not a sob story, it's just, you know. Now, one of the hobbies that I think has, has benefited, there's a bit of a vacuum that's created and phew, crypto and, and not, not just, well, it, but the thing is for a lot of people, that has, it does start, it starts with an hour and then it's two hours and before you know it, it's, it's taking up chunks of your day. Yeah. Um, we don't have to go into the details of that. It was more, I'm curious for you personally, 
how easy it is to go from like kind of number business brain to music brain. Is that a kind of flip-flop you can do like in a day or is it like I definitely it, it takes a it takes a couple days to get to get out of that that mode. Like I have to look I, I like like even when you call me today I haven't looked. I'm like done looking cuz I'm like I want to just make music and be happy for a sec. <laughs> oh my um, god. So I had to like stop. I had, to, I had to stop because it's it's just and it's also it's just the this the New York Stock Exchange closing uh, at the time it does is actually great because it helps <laughs> mental health. Because <laughs> crypto does not stop. It's crazy. It's really a drug. I don't know. I ask that of all my friends because everyone has a I guess a version of it. What distracts you? You know what pulls you away from music? I have to I have to make sure that my managers don't talk to me. And when I say managers, I mean manager and assistant. Like, don't fucking text me. Don't text me when I'm making music. Don't text me for some stupid, asinine thing that I don't need to do today. Let Like, I need to be able to just sit and not think about anything else and just be able to, like, go into it. Because if, if other stuff comes up, I have, like, such bad ADD that I'll want to handle that before I get back to music. Yeah. And it'll, like, it'll chew at me. So how good are you about going into studio? Are you quite disciplined or like, do you have a, is there a system? Is it just when you feel like it? Um, it's, I, I'll try to get like set dates for, for when stuff needs to be finished. And that will help me get into the studio. Cause I'm, I'm a huge procrastinator. Wait, what about for you? How long does it take you to get, get into the, I have, the mood? <laughs> That's a good way to, I don't know. I, I have real, I've always had problems with procrastination and I guess to put it simply, it's like, I think music is the best thing for me. And yet at the same time, it's kind of the thing that I fight against the most it, in, a, in a really strange way. So I think I'll talk a lot to kind of hear my own voice and make jokes and blah, blah, blah. But actually I'm happiest when let's say I'm listening to music and I'm not talking. It, it's, and there's a lot of other things that kind of follow those parallels where I don't know if it's procrastination or ADD, but it's like making music is hard. You know, like, yeah. like putting yourself in that position is hard. Uh, trying to make something that you actually think is great is hard. The other stuff is, feels much easier, you know? Yeah. And, and the other things have much shorter reinforcement patterns and, and, you know, oh, hey, I got something done. I feel pretty good. You know, you get a little win, you get a little jolt, but, but making music for me has always felt like a, I guess more of a challenge. So I, I try to, avoid it sometimes, but it, it's stupid because that's also where everything good comes from. You know, it's not like yeah. I'm not talking to you because I'm a good trader or a good, that's but no, I, I get, <laughs> I think all producers have that. Like that's the, I don't know. I don't know. That's the never ending cycle of like, you know, when you finish a song, you're, you're a lot of people are like, man, he finished that song and he put it out and that's so awesome. Like, and you've already been past that song yeah. with 20 different other demos, maybe that you've thrown away that you hate you've like making music at certain points is like, it's so rewarding and it's so draining because when you have a shitty day, it sucks. When you have a day when you're just like, am I going to be able to make a song again? Like I've had that so many times where I'm like, what am I doing? Am I going to actually be able to make a good song? Sometimes I think I'm like, holy shit. Like the arrogance to think the delusion <laughs> to kind of think like, oh yeah, 
I still got another couple of hits in me. Like, as it, like why? Like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I kind of, I'm like, yeah, I just got to work it. I just got to work through it. Like, if I put in the, eh, they're, they're there. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, really? Like, what, what makes you think that exactly? Like, like, do you think that just worked like forever that you, sometimes I think like I'm really, but yeah, that, that yeah. It's something you have. I think that's, yeah, that's eternal artist stuff that, that people struggle with. I will say though, I have a lot of friends who, their safe kind of happy place is just working in the studio. Just like, oh, no, day mm -hmm. four on a kick drum, like, no, 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 you know, and, and I'm not, that I've never been, but I like to work with other people. I, I like, that's why I like to work collaboratively because I find. No, that's, that's actually a good point to bring up because I was going to say that during COVID, the uh, one thing that's helped so much is I've scheduled time to work. I work with this guy, Phil Scully um, and Mickey Carbell and, uh, a couple other people, but like I'll sit in with Phil one day and we'll just, we'll work on stuff. And it, it helps so much so that you have to like, it's like having a trainer, like you have to show up for the trainer or you're going to pay for him and you're not going to get, you're not going to be able to work out. So being able to show up for a person in the studio. I, actually the, the trainer analogy is perfect. If I don't have a trainer, I won't lift. Is that the term? I won't. Uh, yeah. Like exactly. if I don't have a, exactly, if I don't have a trainer, then, then the, the, the last, yeah, the last, the last little straw that'll happen will be that my manager will be like, Hey, you need to turn the song in in three days, which I still will. Yeah. Yeah. That's why remixes get done. And I fucking love, I actually love, I don't, there is a part of me that loves procrastinating to that point because I feel like I'm left with less options of sitting there and being like, is this good? And I'm just like, fuck it. If it's, you know what, I'm going to make it. I'm going to sit with it. If anything pisses me off at the final day, I'll switch it up and get to the final version and then I'll just send it off. I also think too, that that was always one of the beautiful things about DJing. It gives you like a final stage in real time. You know, you're like, you're like, Hey, okay, this track is kind of done. I'm going to play it. I'm going to test it. Oh, they danced. Cool. We're good. Exactly. And, and that's one thing that's hard without the pandemic. You, you not only don't have the energy and the feedback from the people, but you don't have those those finite lines drawn. So you're swimming in this kind of like, oh, should I finish it for next week or for in 14 months? Like, <laughs> I hope it's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so, so true. That, that's, I, think, yeah. I think for people, I think if you have a little bit of that procrastination in you, I do think then the touring DJ timetable lifestyle is kind of good because it just, it keeps forcing these deadlines on you, you know? Exactly. Um, What's a record that makes you jealous because it's so good? Uh, what is the best record that you've ever made? Uh, let's see. What is my favorite record of mine? It's Love in the Middle of a Firefight with Brendan Urie. And that goes back to my emo days. He's the lead singer of Panic at the Disco. And like the fact that he even wanted to work with me and then how fast it happened. I sent him the song on like iMessage and he sent me back a recording. He was on, he was on tour too. He sent me back a recording with him on his little iPhone mic and was like, yeah, I just got really inspired last night. It's great. Good job. Oh, that's the, that's the best. So easy. We come outside, they run and hide in the morning sun, baby, we were born to run.
Are you optimistic about the music you're going to make in the future? Yeah. I know that sounds like, yeah, you are, no, right? No, like you, you still think. Well, to go back to what you were saying for like what was happening during the pandemic, like I sat and was like, all right, what do I really want to do? And then. Did you come up with an answer? Yeah. I started making like really happy house music um, or euphoric houses, you know, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but like it was like all really fun piano house throughout this whole time just because I was like, man, this is like such a depressing time. And I really didn't want to make any Mumbatone records and uh, nothing like I didn't want to go and make trap records or anything like that for festival things or any of that stuff. So this this was like it was it felt so fun to be able to work on something like this and then like make yourself happier from being like, oh, cool, man, I made a really happy song. All right. I'm happy now. I'm going to go to sleep happy. Yeah. I kept waking up and, and being like, the fuck am I? What do I do? today because you like you know how you bring up that like were you having nightmares about like missing a flight like i kept having days where i would wake up and be like i don't i'm physically supposed to be going somewhere right now and that's how my body feels but why am i not moving there and or why are we not why am i not packing a bag so yeah i just made myself happy through quarantine <laughs> one of the things also that will be different when the parties start again it's like i mean it's one thing to be making like big anthemic tracks when everyone's already kind of happy. Like who the fuck cares? Like, hey, we're all happy, we're, we're all, everything's good and we're making a celebration track. Like yeah. celebrate everything <laughs> and like everything's already great. Like they're all in Ibiza and everyone's having fun and it's a party track. And now the, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like, fuck you. Exactly, now it's kind of like shit's dark. Like people are coming out of their caves, like no one has seen the light in a year. That's when you bring the piano house. I mean, that that's when it that's what the doctor ordered at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes, but <laughs> I think it's a it's a good idea. What is a record that actually brings you to tears? Like has made you cry, real tears? Wow. I don't think a, I don't think a song has it, it would it would definitely have to have been in a movie. Um, so it was probably a movie score that I don't even know the name of that made me cry like Shawshank Redemption probably yeah Shawshank definitely <laughs> or the Green Mile brings me to tears oh every time that one really fucks me up I only cry in movies on airplanes oh man I, I watched uh Coco and I cried that that Disney movie anything on an airplane I cry and yep. anything with like father's son <laughs> oh my god or sports father's son sports on an airplane <laughs> I've had stewardesses Stuart, come up to me like, sir, are, are, is everything okay? Like, are you okay? I've got my pillows like soaked. And just because like the dad was like, I'm proud of you or like some like crazy simple moment where like he makes the, he makes the shot, whatever. Oh, that's so good. This is, I, I hope you prepared this one. Pretend you're like the ultimate party. Okay. This is like, I don't know. This is just Dylan Francis at the Super Bowl, whatever it is. Like you got one moment biggest highest impact drop ever highest impact drop ever i already know what it is this is this is this is 2021 right yeah yeah, yeah. this is like oh, yeah, return. Yeah. you're gonna have to go with that fisher record losing it if you played that in i don't think i know it yeah you do it just has a horn <laughs> fisher losing it horn track you've heard, you've definitely heard it Oh, 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 oh,
he's another guy I played with once. I was like, dude, I gotta. You gotta step. Yeah. I might like should I just have a coffee or something? Like I got. You, yeah, more than that. I looked like I was like a corpse. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just going back and forth the whole time. But he's Australian. It's yeah. not fa- it's like it's Aust- the Aussie in him. It's it, you it's can't not, compete. No, it's like no. It'd be like if we were at a library together, and he's like, I don't know how to. It just stays so like peaceful and quiet. And I'm like, <laughs> he's he's getting he's getting yelled at by the librarian. Like, sir, please just stop moving. Yeah, no, he doesn't excel in that. He's also a nice guy though. Um, okay, so imagine last show ever. And you have a dream lineup. You can curate dream lineup to play with you. Uh, final, biggest, giant. Let's say return from pandemic, like 80,000 people, your show, two people. One that goes on before you, one that goes on after you. Ooh, that's a tough one. They can even be dead, by the way. Like it could be... Uh, they can? If that helps. I mean, it still doesn't help. <laughs> I, I was trying to stall. I was trying to buy you like, I was trying to buy you 10 seconds. You're like, oh, I don't, oh, I was like, man, oh, what man, I just, it's so obvious. <laughs> I have 10, 10. Oh, that's so ready. easy. It, for a second, I was like, Jimi Hendrix. Wait, no. Why would I want Jimi Hendrix to play before me? <laughs> like only because he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jimi Hendrix and uh, Elvis. Uh, Jimi Hendrix and yeah, and Elvis. And I go right in the middle and I ruin the whole show. You sound a bit like a... Uh, you sound a bit like Conan when you said that. Really? <laughs> I love Conan. Do you love Conan? Conan's so <gasps> good. I don't know if you've noticed, Conan is the only dude that like, he'll still tweet like A-grade material. He's just got the craziest jokes oh, on he's, tap. He's just so and funny. every comedian has given up by now. Like none of them will just give it away for free anymore. Yeah. Like they have to store it up for a Netflix. Like they're running out of material and he's <laughs> no. still... Just almost daily, he'll drop yeah. like a bomb, like a like a real. He's he's, he's not, so good. Okay, yeah. Who are your favorite comedians? You know what? Okay, you know what? I'll take Conan before me, then I DJ, and then afterwards, <laughs> I'm gonna say Ron Funches. I think he's so funny. I'm doing two comedy people. Who's Ron? I don't even know who Ron Funches is. Ron Funches is like one of the funniest dudes. He he like he works on Comedy Central all the time. I, I was on the show um, uh, Taskmasters with him, okay. and he's just his comedic timing and his voice is so funny. So, okay. So are you a big, so I'm doing comedy, <laughs> comedy festival with <laughs> DJ in the middle. <laughs> Actually, I, I'm going to reverse those by the way. I'm Ron Funches would be before me and Conan after. Cause I can't follow Conan. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to like, thank you. It's like unnecessary pressure. As I'm not sure that like, yeah. Conan would be like wild about that. No, Conan would be like this fucking DJ guy. Am I right? <laughs> me playing before him. Fucking loser. Did you ever before music, did you have a potential different aspiration? Did you want to be like, was there anything else that had a chance for a while? I mean, I definitely wanted to like be in TV or, or film, never wanted to be like a, a stand-up comedian or, or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was like TV or film um, or photography. Um, were your parents into what you did, into DJing and production and all that? Yeah, they, they were like 50% in, I want to say. <laughs> half in, half out. They were like, yeah, because we, we made a deal. I, I So what it was, was like, I moved to um, I moved to Atlanta and worked with my friend Corey Nita for three months. And he taught me everything I know about music because I was just sitting there with him and asking him questions. I moved back to LA and I asked my parents, I was like, hey, can I live in the back house and just work on music for a year? And see if anything happens. This is kind of like my Europe moment where like instead of traveling, I'm going to sit in the back house and just work on music. And they were like, yeah, if you pay us 
you have to pay us $500 in rent a month. And the, the reason we're doing that is we're going to save that money and then we're going to give it back to you once you move out. So you have like a little, nice little nest egg and you're learning that you need to be, you know, a human that's ready to take care of yourself. So that's a I, good, that's a good plan. Yeah. So I did that and that's where that whole 10,000 hours thing and staying in there for a year and it, and it worked out. I think like after a year I got in touch, I think three months later they were like, Hey, so, cause I was starting to make stuff work. Through that year. So you really you really did a year in the, the the shed with your gear, like working? Yeah. So I don't think you really you're not like a real procrastinator. Sorry. During that time I wasn't. Now I am. It's, a, it's Yeah, but that's like a that's a choir. That's like you got soft. Yeah, I got it's, soft. It's yeah, but that's more like <laughs> Yeah, you just that's just kind of got spoiled. But after the fact. But I don't know if that's really it's, it's I don't true. know if I you really can call yourself Yeah, you got yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, and I know tasted, it. You've tasted forbidden fruit. Exactly. Like, yeah. Look, man, you're, no, no. You're, at that time you're okay with being in, in coach. And then once you get, to, once you taste that first class seat. Oh, don't, don't send me, don't send me back. <laughs> <laughs> I know Dude, that was one of my favorite. Uh, that's one of my favorite Louis CK jokes. You know, the one where he's like, where he's in first class and he sees like a veteran On. in economy. <laughs> and he's like, He's like, you know, and I just started thinking like, I could just give him my seat. Like I could just get up. Like that's a great, that, that's totally like a great thing to do. I guess I fly first class all the time. Like he served our country. <laughs> like I could just get up and give him a seat. And then Louis C.K. is like, he's like, I didn't give him a seat. Like, of course <laughs> I didn't give him a seat. But he's like, it felt so good. To think to about think, it. To think about it. Like, it, like it felt so, I felt so good about myself. Like, just for thinking, like, what a great thing to think of doing. <laughs> um, okay, so you're allowed three VIP guests, not musical. They show up. They're like, I'll tell like, I mean, almost everyone on my show says Prince or, but just, you got three. I got three that, that could be at my show. Yeah, they'll be, you're doing a, good, a big show and these are three people that, you know, they're in the booth or whatever. They get to, or they get to party with you or see what you do or just have fun or you get to talk to them or whatever. Uh, I'm thinking, did you not like, you didn't think of this before? No, no. I, oh, I, was, okay. I read it and I was like, I'll, I'll think of it. Oh, you're like, I'll be good on the fly. <laughs> I'll be good on the fly. I'm thinking Mark Cuban. Okay. Gruden from, he's, he's, he's coaching the, the Raiders. Don't know. Gruden. What's his, what's his first name? He's a football coach. Yeah, he's a football coach. I don't know why I'm saying that as well. But I mean, I was obsessed with him because he's like the best football coach. Are you into football? American football? Um, yeah, when playoffs start happening. I know that's such a shitty thing to say, but like that's when no, it like, no. gets interesting. Well, because most football players would be like, well, you don't watch the full season, bro. <laughs> Come on. You got to support. I, I have a soft spot for American football. I keep saying American football because I'm into soccer and I yeah. call it football. And, yeah. But I like American football. I went to one game once when I was a kid. My dad took me to, uh, I guess at the time they were the they were the LA Rams. Is that possible? Am I like a thousand yeah, years yeah. old? Are they? No, yeah. no, no. They, they, were, the, they were the Rams, Purple the LA Rams before. Kinda. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it was LA Rams against the Raiders. I could not believe what was going on. <laughs> It was just like I had, it's like I got rolled up in like an American flag. Like I couldn't believe the, the level of Americana. Like, the, yeah. But the, it's like the apotheosis of oh, like, oh, yeah. People ride or die. It's dope. I mean, like it's, if you've, if you've been to Pittsburgh, right? 
I've been to Pittsburgh once, but not to like a, they not ride to a game. or die for their football team. Slash, all their teams have black and yellow. Yeah, Steelers are black and yellow. Penguins, Penguins are black and yellow, and the Pirates are black and yellow. And they ride or die for their teams, and like they just they they live to go to the games. So it's, it's like the fandom for for that stuff is is nuts. Okay, so who's your guy? So Mark Cuban, I think it's Cuban and Gruben, Cuban and Gruben, <laughs> and uh, Gruden, Gruden, not Gruben, and um, who else, man? You got real sausage. Travis fest Scott. Going here. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is a sausage fest. I'm like throw a throw a little throw a little bit of female energy. You in know there. what? Never mind. It's fuck Travis Scott. We're bringing Fiona Apple. Okay, I'm yeah. Throwing it back to the beginning. Fiona Apple. It's a little to the bit show. more. That's a little. It's got a bit more balance. To yeah. It now. Yeah. Okay. Um. These are just why? off the top of my head, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what uh? <laughs> what is closing record at your party? Closing record. Or. If you want to go in a, in a maybe more emo route, I don't know, funeral song, your own funeral. My own, it's, it's my song for my funeral. I mean, it's, it's last track you play at biggest party, last party of your life or funeral track. It's kind of like how you see this. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm DJing this, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're not DJing the funeral, but you're DJing the party. <laughs> I would, I want to be DJing my own funeral in as a, um, uh, a hologram. So, oh yeah, I'm going to be. That'll probably happen. That's like, yeah. I, that's a completely doable by now. Yes, and for now it is. And I think the song I would end with would be "Show Me Love." <laughs> is that is that Robin S or, or yeah, Robin S? Show Me Love. Oh, it's a good song. That's a great one. Yeah. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. That's a good riff. And everyone just starts getting like everyone's crying, that's kind of, but then that's they're a like, good, "That's a good funeral." And then they're like, like. They're crying Fuck. and they're like, no one wants to <laughs> yeah. be the first. And then one guy just, <laughs> I'm just kind of grooving. That's it. That would actually, I mean, that'd be a pretty weird funeral, but that'd be a good, be a good vibe. It would. that when I find that you I find that when you're really just kind of happy with yourself and just kind of like free you like party tracks because that's when you you know like I, yeah. I mean when you get a bit more like tangled up that's when it gets a little bit more like, I'm gonna make something moody or you know <laughs> I'm gonna make yeah. some ambient stuff I went through a month of listening to some really yeah, I was listening to so much ambient and even I was listening to so much like dub Reggae? I can vibe with dub reggae. But it was crazy. Stuff, and like one moment I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like what are... I like it for getting a massage. Did you ever go through like a drug phase or like a... No. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I did. I don't... But I don't think I ever did but like... not like hallucinogenic and or a little. Yeah, I never... I, like... I mean, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but... but. No, no, no. It's, I mean, my, I got in trouble with my parents. They know all the stuff that I did. I, I mean, I've told them now. Um, which they watch the, the, all this, they're subscribed. So <laughs> they're going to have to re-listen to this. Um, but you know, I, mushrooms, I think I did acid one time. Um, but I, I would never really was like that big into like getting all psychedelic and like hanging with people. And 
Like I, I don't like doing mushrooms and hanging with people. I really don't. You know what I oftentimes think is like real bad trip material is like, imagine like the real crypto maelstrom, but you're tripping. Oh no, that I is, can't do that. I think it's like the worst no. thing I can imagine. Kind of not interested. No, me neither. Not no, interested. Me neither. I'm supremely not interested. The, the last time, the last time I did mushrooms, I think it was during, uh, during the pandemic uh, one night. Um, I'd been drinking a lot too though. And then did like a couple mushrooms. And, uh, I, that was actually a time where I realized how good it is to listen to James Blake and Tame Impala in a dark yeah. room with like yeah. a visualizer on. I was just chilling in my bed. I love the vision, oh, the visualizer on. Yeah. I remember when I was really, really young, living at my parents' house, and I had like one of the first Mac computers. And oh my God. Yes. This the is, fucking thing. And there was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I remember being so, I guess I was just so starved for anything, like that you just stare <laughs> at the visualizer. Yeah, starved for stimulation. So you're just, you're just staring at that visualizer. And like after like 15 minutes, like, I mean, it starts to do something, you know? I yeah. Mean, yeah. <laughs> I kind of kind of miss that in a weird way. Even as a kid, I knew it was a bit like there's got to be something better than this. Like I yeah. knew, you know, but that's that's what I had was the visualizer. Hey man, I I think I had that too and I definitely used it. Dylan, I'm a big fan. I love talking to you. I really do. Yeah, we have a lot to I'm a huge fan. Mind oh, dimension, man. Thank you. Mind dimension. I've been toying with the idea of some kind of mind dimension NFT. We almost we fucking made it 91 minutes without saying NFT. That in a April 2021, we're not doing it. We can go an hour and a half without saying <laughs> NFT. It's like you get some. We're the real winners anyway. today. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's it's a it's a pleasure to talk. I can't wait till hopefully we get to cross paths soon. Dude, we got to hang soon. Yeah, definitely. Come here and get in the studio with me. I would love Seriously. to. I would love to. I think we really have a good time. It'd be it'd be yeah, fun. Yeah, me too. I'll, I'll yeah, I'll text you. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Take care. All right, later. Did you enjoy that? Do you want more of that? Well, I just so happen to have a solution. If you want extended versions of every episode, including bonus content, sometimes 15 minutes longer, sometimes an hour longer, sometimes an entire extra episode, things that are mind-blowing, exposés, secrets, drama, if you want more of it, you sign up to my Patreon membership service. It is called Club Sexor. You go to www.patreon.com and you simply get more of what you already love. Extended bonus exclusive versions of Last Party on Earth. That's it. Enjoy.